Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Jonestown Cult Massacre. Here's what you need to know. As a young white boy growing up in rural Indiana in the 1930s, Jim Jones became fascinated with Pentecostal ministers and Black Baptist churches. By the 1950s, Jones began ministering to his own congregation, fervently promoting socialism, racial equality, and desegregation during a time when social injustices dominated American society. He named the church the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, preaching socialist ideals and performing healings to his growing interracial congregation. The People's Temple offered rent assistance, job placement services, free canned goods, clothing, and an average of 2,800 hot meals per month to those in need. 
In Search of Eden, Jim Jones and 140 of his most loyal church members moved to California in 1965. By the 1970s, his anti-capitalist, anti-war, and anti-segregation messages had amassed thousands of congregants in San Fernando, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, where he had relocated the People's Temple headquarters. Because of their growing numbers, Jim Jones and his church gained attention from local and state political figures. Behind the scenes, however, Jones became increasingly extreme with his followers, using blackmail, physical abuse, and emotional manipulation to control and alienate the members. In 1974, Jones leased more than 3,800 acres of isolated jungle in Guyana in hopes of creating a utopia for the People's Temple. By 1978, nearly 1,000 of his followers had moved to the site and set up a compound known as Jonestown. Jonestown was a two-day boat ride from civilization, and all money and passports were confiscated upon entering. Once you arrived, it was almost impossible to leave. When the San Francisco media began probing Jim Jones and his church in the summer of 1977, he moved hundreds of his followers to Jonestown, promising a sanctuary from outside scrutiny. The conditions were far from the socialist paradise members imagined. It was overcrowded with not enough food or shelter. Children were reportedly separated from their parents. Medical problems ran rampant throughout the community and armed guards patrolled the area day and night. Jim preached regularly about a revolutionary mass suicide, even leading his followers in rehearsal suicides. As concerned relatives and defectors of Jonestown began rallying the U.S. government and activists to investigate and stop Jonestown, Jim Jones prepared for outside attacks and urged his followers to write to foreign governments in hopes of finding a new home for their community. On November 14, 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan and a delegation arrived at Jonestown to investigate. After a night of dinner and musical performances, the truth began to come out. Members wanted to leave, and Jim Jones was highly agitated. The next morning, Congressman Ryan, members of the delegation, and a group of defectors boarded two planes to leave when a tractor-trailer with Jones's security guards drove to the airstrip and opened fire. Five people were gunned down. After the airstrip shooting, Jim Jones called his members to the pavilion, insisting that it was time for their lives to end. He said, quote, The congressman is dead. Many of our traitors are dead. They're all laying out there dead. Do you think they're going to allow us to get by with this? There's no way. No way we can survive. It's not worth living like this. Jim Jones's most trusted followers mixed and distributed a concoction of flavorade and cyanide. Over 300 children were made to drink the substance. Members who didn't agree with the quote, revolutionary suicide, were injected with poison. And those who attempted to escape into the jungle were shot by armed guards. What many believed to be a future utopia, Jonestown became the site of the largest incident of intentional death in American history pre-9-11. Fun facts, aka death stats. 918 people died on November 18, 1978 in the Jonestown Massacre. Five died in the Port Katuma airstrip shootings. 
They were Congressman Leo Ryan, photographer Greg Robinson of the San Francisco Examiner, cameraman Bob Brown and reporter Don Harris from NBC, and temple defector Patricia Parks. Four people died at the People's Temple House in Georgetown, Guyana. They were Sharon Amos, one of Jim Jones's closest followers, and her children, Leanne Harris, Krista Amos, and Martin Amos. Later that day, 907 men, women, and children died after ingesting poison. Jim Jones died of a gunshot wound. Most believe it was self-inflicted, while others believe it could have been a homicide. 70% of the people who died in Jonestown were African-American. It wasn't actual Kool-Aid that they used in the suicides, but rather a similar brand called Flavor-Aid. The reference to Kool-Aid could be traced to the early reporting in the days after the tragedy. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And friend and filmmaker Lance Edmonds. Hi, Lance. Hello. Lance is, uh, has a new documentary coming out. It's uh, going to be out on ESPN's 30 for 30 called Deerfoot of the Diamond. Lance, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Absolutely. It's a, uh, a documentary that's about Louis Sokalexis, who is the first Native American to play Major League Baseball. And he played for the Cleveland team. They were called the Spiders at the time, but then they renamed themselves the Indians, supposedly in his honor. But in fact, the truth is much more complicated as he faced a lot of racism and a lot of difficult things in his very short career, which ended rather tragically. And um, the film follows that story, which takes place in the year of 1897 and kind of intercuts it with the modern story of the Cleveland team, which has recently renamed itself the Guardians. Um, due to social justice movements around Native Americans and using the Chief Wahoo mascot. And the film kind of cuts back and forth through time and follows his, you know, phenomenal rookie season in 1897 and talks about the name change in 2021. So it's wow. kind of a collage documentary about history and baseball. And he was a Penobscot Indian from Maine, which is where I grew up. And that's right. I love baseball. I love Maine. And the two kind of greatest influences in my life came together in this movie. And (laughs) yeah, it's hopefully going to be great. Lance, this feels I'm so excited for it because it's my favorite kind of sports uh, movie. The one that makes it about not sports. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There are some sports in it, but it is not, you know, it's a movie that I think anyone could appreciate. Whether you know anything about baseball, it doesn't really matter. Um, We're not talking about stats and you know, gather around <laughs> the yeah, gather around. This is going to be a new, uh, this is going to be an upcoming episode too. <laughs> Rebecca's Rebecca also has this amazing inca- uncanny ability to whenever sports are being played around her, she gets hit with the ball. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen it happen like 90 times. I, I kid you not. It's, it's very, you. No wonder why you don't like sports. It's often I like me sports who either. hits her with the ball. So first preferred position is to be away from sports. Second, For my you don't want to watch it. <laughs> um, Lance, we like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that is recently alarming you? What is something that's keeping you up at night? 
Oh God. I mean, <laughs> it's 2022. It's like, what's not to, you know, mm. I, I mean, there's a world war three is happening. There's a raging mm-hmm. pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think existential worry about the end of human civilization. I would, mm. uh, I would have to go with that. Just a, <laughs> just a little, just a light little anxiety. Yeah. To live with daily. And honestly, that's literally the perfect transition into (laughs) this massive topic we're going to try and cover. I mean, just so much to uncover here and discuss and uh, such a tragic event. And and first, I want to start off by talking about how, you know, for years, this has been said to have been a suicide, right? But Mm. there are many people who disagree and say that it's it was actually a mass murder mm. on Jones's part. Here's a from a Rolling Stone article. While the general view of what happened was a mass suicide because people lined up to take the poison drink, there have been arguments from witnesses and former temple members that it was really mass murder. Long before the actual event, Jones had his followers drink what they initially believed was poison as a test of loyalty to him, which in hindsight was a rehearsal for what would happen later. Mm. When Jones implemented the actual suicide plan in Jonestown, there were armed guards with guns and crossbows to ensure that nobody was getting out alive. Okay, that doesn't feel like it was voluntary. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> some victims were found to have marks on their body, suggesting they were injected with the poison. Adding to the mass murder argument is that numerous young children died in Jonestown who couldn't possibly know what they were doing. Right. And one of the... Uh, things that they've said as well is that they gave the order to kill the children first, sealing everyone's face. Fate. Fate. So Tim Carter, who lost his wife and baby son in Jonestown, also concurs that it was mass murder. Jones was going to kill everybody no matter what. There were so many lies that Jones had told people to create a state of siege mentality in the community that even those that were making a principled stand of revolutionary suicide probably were influenced a lot by the lies that he was telling them. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to clear that up because I feel like that is a new way of discussing. When did that take hold? I wonder that it was a suicide and not sort of a mass murder. And I know that there's still sort of, because then you start to get it, you start to get into, I mean, how many of the the group bought bought into it? Maybe there were some people uh, and I listened to the tapes. It's like really disturbing, but you know, there were some people who, were sort of followers, I guess, brainwashed by this guy Jones and drank, you know, actually volunte- voluntarily drank the flavor aid it was. Yes, not, not mm-hmm, Kool-Aid. Not Kool-Aid. <laughs> Another. <laughs> Poor Kool-Aid. Well, that was kind of the most interesting part of the tape, I thought, Chris, is there's a, a woman, I think her name was was Christina Miller. If I, if I might be getting that, I think I'm getting that right. You can hear her on the tape kind of making this argument to, you know, she says, and I wrote this quote down, as long as there's life, there's hope. And Mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. basically saying, if we can't live in peace, let's die in peace. He keeps saying that. So there's this actually this this conversation that happens between her and him. And he's kind of letting his followers come up and and like speak. You know, he's not silencing anyone, but he's letting them say what they think about what's happening. And he basically... She basically gets, you know, shouted down more or less, you know, from her mm-hmm. position, which is that like this is wrong, we shouldn't do this, and it's actually kind of 
fascinating to see that group think happening and that kind of like mm. manipulation happening in real time as she kind of says that this is wrong and everyone kind of pushes back. So it's like pretty disturbing. Yeah, it is. And and I also found their conversation was sort of centered around this weird warped Jim Jones like logic where he sort of presented the only opportunity for them to leave is to go to Russia or something like that. Can you discuss, just uh, help our listeners understand what the Jim Jones tapes are? Oh, yeah. So the Jim Jones, I guess they're just... The tapes of, I guess they started recording uh, as they were administering the flavor aid. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of preaching in front of a group of yeah. people, continuing to sort of convince them right. to go along with this That's plan. That's got to be disturbing. I actually haven't listened to those. Oh, God. It's You can find it on YouTube. It's like 45 minutes, and it's one of the most horrifying and disturbing, disturbing cultural artifacts that exists, probably. Wow. Um, you know, there's children screaming in the background. One of the most haunting things about the tape is that they had a band and they frequently kind of recorded music. And I think this tape was like recorded over one of the band's rehearsals oh. or something. So in the background, you can hear this very like slow and creepy chorus of kind of gospel music that's just oh. like barely audible happening throughout the whole tape. It's just... It'll wow. give you nightmares. Um, it's pretty awful. But that was Christine Miller. Okay, uh, that was her so name. So let's let's start off by putting Jim Jones. <laughs> yeah, I think we can do that up on the board. There, occasionally, there comes an alarmist episode where you know who's to blame. Kind of feels right sure. right out the gate. Sure. But you know what? We need to go through the podcast anyway. <laughs> Give our listeners something let's, to do. Let's uh, dive in. And but Jim Jones definitely deserves yeah. to be on the board at least. So Jim Jones, this is according to Rolling Stone, as Tim Reiterman explained in Raven, Jones' dark qualities, his need to control people, his deceit and his anger towards people who betrayed or abandoned him could be traced to his childhood in Indiana. A loner during his youth, Jim would entertain his playmates in the loft of his family's barn and made them his captive audience. One time he even locked up his young friends in the barn. He performed experiments on animals and conducted funerals for them. According to Jeff Gwynn's book, The Road to Jonestown, Jones also had an early fascination with Adolf Hitler. When Hitler committed suicide in April 1945, thwarting enemies who sought to capture and humiliate him, Jimmy was impressed, he, he wrote. Jeez. ABC News said he was a predator who really mastered the art of luring people from every segment of life, said former T People's Temple member Yolanda Williams. He started to alienate you from your families, destroy the family unit, she continued, so that then he could become the predator, but also the one who was the provider for every need that you required in life. Some former members said he would he would also practice fake suicide in small group. Dying for the cause was something some former members said Jones brought up regularly. He even showed us this movie about Jewish concentration camps called Night and Fog, Williams said. He said, this is what they have planned for people of color. We've got to build your land up over there in Jonestown. We've got to get everyone uh, over there. We've got to move fast. We've got to move swiftly. We've got to pool our resources together. He took advantage of the poor, essentially, um, and and the marginalized, and 
Um, he just filled them with fear and controlled them with lies. Mm-hmm. Well, the ultimate control move was, and the equivalent of him locking his friends in a garage while he told them stories, which is weird, weird way to entertain people, uh, is the Guyana plot of land, which was mm-hmm. so far removed from civilization. He could basically control um, all the information that came in and out of there. Yeah. As we were just refreshing the, you know, research on on Jonestown, Clayton <laughs> kept <laughs> referring to uh, Guyana's isolation. The, the, the compound in Guyana is just being a nightmare. Yeah. Sounds like no basic services. And I mean, you're just going to go over there and build your paradise. Like what? I can imagine, like imagine, could you even do that today? Is there could be at least 3,800 acres of land somewhere and just like start a compound? I I think that that's what uh, Joshua Tree is. Oh, that's what people are doing. <laughs> the in, desert in Joshua Tree. I haven't, I haven't been in a while. Uh, yeah, I I think just the isolation. I mean, I think about like what I used to do as a child, and it was just like you know, like we're gonna do plays. I guess that was a form of <laughs> forcing my the kids around the block to like. <laughs> You're saying you try you? you I, I'm just wondering. Them? I'm just wondering if I've. Forced musicals on your friends? Is that the same? I hope not. (laughs) I think we've all wanted to run a cult at one time or another, if I'm wrong. Well, listen, Rebecca, now you have an audience. You have a podcast called The Alarmist where people tune in and listen to you weekly. So maybe you are a cult leader. I I hope I'm helping people think for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Not think like I think. Yeah, the and the the other thing he would do is and we can put this up on the board was he sort of I think he was atheist but he used sort of religiosity, you know, sure. his yeah. own kind of religion as like a way to attract people to his vision, which yes. was more like I think yeah, the, we'll talk Socialist. about that, how okay. he used that. Okay. Um, but I, I what do also, you want to term that? Religiosity? Is that I the term? Know. I was going to call it the theater of church, but we can, oh, we can discuss. Okay. I like that term. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I love theater. That's right. But I just want to, uh, another thing about uh, Jones is that when he started off, and, and we'll get to this as well later, you know, it, it felt like his idea, it felt like he really did want to help you know, people, yeah. um, especially um, uh, members of the black community in, right. in in Indiana, you know. But clearly he was a narcissist, uh, right. you know, like many cult leaders are. It just, it, it, it falls, he really falls into this stereotype of, of, of a cult leader. <laughs> um, For sure. Again, he was also known to like coerce female followers into sexual relationships. Yeah. He also, which is like classic cult leader stuff, but he, he also coerced uh, his male followers as well. So that that's something that's lesser known about him as well. I mean, and we can get into this, but there is something to this sort of way he sort of used what are on the face of them sort of these altruistic, egalitarian kind of, uh, I guess you'd call them like selling points to join. You know, it's like, oh, we're all equal here in this community. Right. Noble cause. Yeah, which is, I mean, uh, of course, like those are values. I mean, I share, I think the best of us share or whatever, but at the same point, at the end of the day, 
he didn't know. I, I think, yeah, once you have all that power, I mean, I, I, at some point, maybe it crossed over for him where he just um, didn't know what to do with all these people. And then he got paranoid. And uh, I don't know, that, that, that sort of internal journey of where he started to where he went from, maybe there's some way we can term that. Jones's internal journey. Yeah, it's almost like. But do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. But I wonder, you know, the question is, was he always intending to do this or was this something that evolved over time? I think that some of the stories about him as a child, to me, certainly give me pause. In, In one documentary, it talks about how he had killed a cat with a knife as a boy. You know, there were certainly sociopathic tendencies inside of him from the beginning. He suffered a lot of abuse from his own parents. I think that even in the beginning, while it had this egalitarian vibe to it, I think that darkness was always inside him from the Mm -hmm. very beginning. Um, And it just took time and isolation and stress to kind of bring that to the foreground. Yes, I I would absolutely uh, agree. I I, I read something here on uh, Salon.com. In reality, Jones maintained a racial hierarchy within the organization. While church membership was primarily black, the 37-member planning commission, as Jones called his leadership council, was dominated by white women, at least six of whom were his sexual conquests and firmly under his sway. When people talk about my father manipulating black people, that's true, said Jim Jones Jr., the preacher's black adopted son. It was politically advantageous for him to give me his name. Wow. Okay, so that that's just a read we can, that's a judgment call you can kind of collect information and make, right, on him, which is like he was using sort of egalitarian ideals as a, as a smokescreen, basically, right? Mm. Oh, maybe that's something, Chris, like uh, the smoke screen, the egalitarian good, smoke screen. The good guy facade. The good. The fi- <laughs> yeah. The, Let's put that. The, the good guy okay. mask. The good guy mask. And I, I think this goes into uh, theater of church, which, you know, yeah, let's kind of kind of could rolled up into that. But yeah. let's get into that. Let's let's put that up on the board. This is kind of long. So please bear with me. IndieStar.com. After being affiliated affiliated with several different Indianapolis churches, Jones started his own congregation in 1955. Jones named his new church the People's Temple. In those early years of his ministry, Jones seemed to truly walk the walk. He set up a soup kitchen that fed hundreds every day. He organized an employment assistance service in which church members helped the jobless find work and gave them decent clothes to wear to job interviews. Jones and his wife, Marceline, adopted eight children of all races. The healing of America's divide between blacks and whites was always at the core of Jones's message, and the People's Temple reflected that that diversity in its congregation, a rarity that then and even 30 years later. As the People's Temple grew, Jones' preaching style became more fanatical, more based on his own words than biblical scriptures. Some members began to leave the church while others became more fervently devoted to Jones. Like other Pentecostal preachers, Jones sometimes performed faith healings. At first, these were of the sort where a person's strength of faith could make him feel stronger and less burdened by pain. After a while, however, Jones allegedly started pulling cancerous tumors out of people's mouths in front of the congregation. One former temple member later told the star that the tumors were chicken livers, Jones palmed like a magician who seemed to pull a coin out of a child's ear. Whatever may have been in Jones' heart at the beginning of his ministry had been replaced by something that he knew was a lie. 
So pulling chicken livers. <laughs> this guy is how do how does how, how, yep. do, how do people get this way? Like how does that happen? There's a scene from, in the documentary too where he fake heals a woman in a wheelchair who turns out to just be his secretary who's oh. pretending to oh. be and she stands up and runs around and everyone's clapping but yeah it's all a all a ruse it seems rather obvious you'd think that people would catch on to some of these things but i think there must have been a willful ignorance on a part of some of the congregation at least to kind of go along with this in some way there is there is obviously some sense of collective delusion that's right there's like a hopeful there must be something going on too like the time must have been it's so hectic that you're willing to believe a miracle like that because it's better than the reality that you're currently living i mean we can blame the 70s (laughs) yes (laughs) sure put the the 70s up on the board yeah the tumultuous 1960s and 70s yeah okay (laughs) well i mean we they they uh, culture was just um well, it was just upside down, guys. It was just going crazy. People had long hair. It um, was nuts. Nobody wore hats anymore. <laughs> I mean, the that, hair and the, the hats. The end yeah. of the hat, I think, had a lot to do with this. The end of the hat. Can yeah. we call it the end of the hat? <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. I think you're right. I think that. I can only imagine how confusing it might have been for people who are part of the congregation because uh, on the one hand, he was definitely trying to help these people in his community. I mean, he would really stand up to there, there was a, a point where he would stand up for um, businesses that weren't wouldn't allow black people to eat in their restaurants. And then he'd show up and there would be a, a big protest and, you know, think he was actually like starting change. But at the, uh, on the other hand, like he was doing these crazy things in, in his congregation. Mm. And so I, I'm sure that it must have been somewhat confusing. I read that there was that, that one time where he had, Okay, so there was a meeting of his top like members of the congregation and mm-hmm. he had served them wine. Mm. And then he said he told the people that um the wine was poisoned. And a few people that were at the meeting started like fake dying, like fake dying. <laughs> okay. And the people around the ones that were like I'm not sure, they didn't know what to do and then <laughs> Jim Jones like said, uh, well, actually, if you try and run, then this is a test. So if you try and run and get help, you're you're going to get shot. Um, but if you stay, you will be healed or something. Oh. If you just sit through it, you'll be healed. And like someone tried to get up and leave and then they were shot. And then it was just like it all ended up being a lie. Like the wine wasn't right. poisoned, but was this like, this Guyana, is the kind of mind Guyana? game. No, this was right. not in, Whoa. this was way before. So he's been doing it for a while. Uh, what, what point as a follower of this, do you start to, you know, when things like this are happening? I think when you feel that bullet under your back, you're like, Ooh, well, maybe I should. Yeah, I made have. a mistake. <laughs> this is some cost fallacy. You know, you're like, you're, you're with them for years. You've sold all of your property. You've given up all your right. world, yes. worldly possessions. And what choice do you have? You can't mm. admit to yourself that you've made a mistake, yeah. right? I mean, that's part of the insidiousness of this whole thing. It's he he knows that too on some level. Like the right. more you give up, the more you realize that you have to continue this lie yourself because right. you know 
you become complicit in your own bondage in a way. Yeah. What did you call that, Lance? The something fallacy? Oh, the sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost. Sunk cost fallacy. I love that. Put that up on the board. Yeah. And let's put the 1960s and 70s up on the board because I, I think to your point, Chris, you know, that these were tumultuous times. Um, this is according to ABC News. Jim Jones rose to prominence in the 50s. Um, uh, he uh, promoted social justice, racial and class equality and desegregation. But some of his former followers said he paid lip service to those ideas to lure people in. You got to remember, this all started back in the 60s and 70s. Our society was in turmoil. There were constant aggression. There was constant aggression going on. You had riots going on, said former people's temple member Tom Bogue. And then you have Jim Jones saying, do I have a place for you, for us? Yeah, and this rings really true when you uh, start to hear how he controlled information at Jonestown, and he would talk about how in America, he would just basically make up this horror show that was going on back at the States where uh, uh, KKK was the, guarding the, the borders and shit like that, where he would just say racism is rampant and uh, the government is um, horrible. And so... Um, Anyway, you know, he sort of used the tumultuous 60s and 70s as a way to kind of, I guess, sort of sell, continue to sell the deterioration of, of America to his, to the people he had on his, on his compound. Yeah, even um, on the tape, you can hear him say, you know, if we don't feed these children poison, they're going to parachute in and torture all of them, basically, you know, right. making up these crazy alternative stories that are, you know, leaving people no choice, but obviously that wasn't going to be the case. Um, you know, do you guys feel like he bought his own bullshit? Like, do you think he believed what he was saying? Or do you think he knew that these were lies that he was using to manipulate people? Because that's something I always wonder yeah. about with these kind of cult leaders, whether they're high on their own supply, or whether they know on some level that this is what they need to say in order to have their their flock, so to speak. That's I think a, it's an interesting question. Yeah. It's, like, do we blame? Because it's either you're blaming like some kind of like delusion or hysteria, or you're blaming like his need to like hold power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he he definitely had a, a an active imagination like from the beginning right because um all, all of these things that he invented in his head like you were saying um lance that he would say that the they were coming out to get him like they were real they would like they would um re not reenact them what would you say like pretend like it was happening it was like a mm -hmm. rehearsal essentially mm -hmm. So I wonder how much of that was this like like some kind of paranoia that was mm. um you know what's crazy is it him? becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a certain yes. way because think about Koresh or something, think about Waco. You know, mm. he's telling all these people we have to stockpile all these weapons because the government is gonna come and attack us and try and kill us. And of course, the very stockpiling is what causes the government, government. to start looking into it and then <laughs> right. it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. So it's 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 similar in a way, right? I mean, like there's this kind of crazy feedback loop that happens where the paranoia and the apocalyptic visions sort of come true by their very kind of the nature of them just conjuring them up themselves. It's, you know. 
And I and from what I read, he was like a big doomsday believer. Um, he was obsessed with nuclear war. And so he was mm-hmm. the reason he even went to South America was I mean, well, he I think he wanted to go to Brazil because he would he th- had read somewhere that that was a place uh, one of the places where you're l- most likely to survive if the Cold War turns hot. Oh, right. You yeah. know, that was a big pitch for it. Mm. Um, so that that kind of mentality, uh, that paranoia of the time. Yeah, that's um, consistent with the paranoia. Right. And the, yeah. And the paranoia, I guess, to me, that makes it more real for him. Um, that's that's to me less manipulation. And, and in those tapes, like, I guess if it, you know, there's probably obviously a some some sort of middle space where it's not all manipulation all or all sort of believing it there's there's some kind of i'm sure he has some kind of sense that if he were to give up or admit to some uh some of his lies that that would sort of be a crack that sort of people could um use to justify uh, sort of leaving or 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 breaking down his whole reality but i do think that the manipulation the 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 just just listening to he, listening to him speak you know i think he's buying a lot of this stuff like the cold i think he had fear of this cold war sort of i mean the fear of the cold war was super, was real i mean a lot of people were worried about mm-hmm. the cold people were building bunkers i mm-hmm. mean they would they were having drills in classrooms i mean people are still doing that you know? yeah right so so yeah it's probably somewhere in the middle but you got to think he bought it it's you know to a degree i think I think you have to put just human nature up on the board. Because, I mean, I think that this is still going on, maybe not to the extreme degree that is Jim Jones, but there, you know, we've seen the Keith Raniere stuff. I don't know if you watched The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, um, (laughs) but you see, uh, you know, Mary Cosby is very much a Jim Jones type character. Wow. I got to tune in. (laughs) I have not watched a single episode. Nor did I, I even I know that highly, show existed? Highly, highly recommend it. Wow! <laughs> but you basically see, you know, someone who's a religious kind of cult leader in the making in it as one of the characters, and I think that this is just a pattern that seems to repeat itself over and over and over and over and over again. Right. So, a, a, on a certain level, you there's something in human beings that creates this social dynamic and replicates it in different forms throughout history. So. You know, it's all it's it feels like in a way it's always going to be there, you know. Jeez. Well, that's it's like bleak. as long as that's bleak. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, <laughs> well, Thanks for coming on our comedy podcast. <laughs> I keep forgetting to be funny, I guess. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> You're doing a great job, Lance. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say, Clayton? <laughs> I mean, I, I think Lance just is making a great point. It's like yeah. there's something about, you know, taking advantage of humans like fear of the unknown, you know, it's like, of course, that's why it'll repeat itself because people are always looking for some kind of answer. And then when someone has like the confidence, you know, like, I feel like we've talked about this in previous episodes where some people just exude that kind of like confidence uh, and know how that everybody else is too, doesn't have. So you're just like, Oh my God, I I will follow this person because they must know something that I don't put charisma up on the board. Sure. I mean that is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. Do you want to get into that, uh, or uh, Clayton? Is that what you're kind of talking about? Yeah, I mean, I I'm just kind of like riffing on this idea of you know 
human nature and this repeating itself. Like, yeah. what is that thing? Like, what what is the the insecurity that we possess? I don't know. That it feels allows to us me to like be a, taken advantage of. Like, we allow ourselves to be taken yeah, advantage of all yeah. the time. Well, and on the and the on the flip side, it also feels like a dominance thing. It's like sure. why why are human beings wanting to like dominate other people and like have them be in in their little club and, yeah. and be the leader. And it, it's just... Yeah. Couldn't Jim Jones just have ex- expressed these values through like a family? Just like having a family, teaching them those ideals. I mean, I guess that, that's also ideals. a nightmare. And, <laughs> I don't right, know. I don't know if he should be having a family, honestly. Right. <laughs> he had a family. He did. He and killed them all. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <God>. Re- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's just, but you know, we're, we're just we're lonely, empty vessels searching for truth and meaning. I think yeah. that there's just that need within everybody and we find it in different ways. I think if you can't find a healthy outlet for it, join a cult, you know, because all that stuff is is right there. Right. I mean, it's you just are handed a script of what to believe in and how to believe mm-hmm. in it. You're given immediate friends. You're given structure. I mean, you know, it might as well be the military. It might as well be any other kind of large-scale group where you're given the instructions on how to live life and what to believe. And, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, think we just need that. We are level. searching for that, yeah. Without well, it, you're it, sort of lost. People will right? always take advantage. There's a, there's a, uh, it's an easy place for people to take advantage of others um, mm-hmm. because you're servicing those in need and they'll do anything to feel better so there you go i know that we're running out of time so i just want to put up another thing on the board uh publicity without inter- intervention this is according to julia shears a thousand lives the untold story of jonestown describing the early days of, at jonestown they relaxed together at supper time when the settlers settlers gathered to eat family style dinners of fried chicken or fish with local greens cans of pepsi were shipped up to george from Georgetown, and the kitchen handed out peanut butter fudge for treats. Afterward, they play board games or watch movies in the large op- open pavilion at the settlement center. Some nights with the youth would find a boombox and dance as the voice of Diana Ross wailed in the jungle. It was July 1976. America was celebrating its bicentennial. Jonestown was birthing a new society. Then it all changed. New West Magazine was about to publish an expose portraying Jim Jones, by now a celebrated California power broker, as a charlatan who faked healings, swindled money from his followers, and fathered a son with an attractive acolyte. It was all true. Until then, Jones had only visited the mission sporadically, but now he moved in permanently, occupying a secluded cottage on the outskirts of Jonestown with two concubines while his wife took up residence nearby. Then he started to evacuate his flock from San Francisco before the scandal went public. By the fall of 1977, there'd been 700 people shoehorned into Jonestown, five times more than the compound could feed. Uh, During an interview uh, with NBC correspondent Don Harris, uh, Don Harris asked Jones about the allegations of mistreatment and imprisonment. Jones denied everything. Harris showed him a note that a resident had slipped him the previous day, which said, help us get out of Jonestown. So he knew it was coming to an end. Uh He knew people were getting on, were leaving, right? It was, and then... When uh, apparently there had been a, 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 a mole 
it was one of the people that had said they were going to leave. Right. Right. Mm. Um, and that's how uh, some of the people were shot. He had a gun. Yeah. Other people then from the compound showed up and right. started shooting at the uh, at the planes. Uh, the people who were about to leave. Obviously, many people died. Once that happened, it was like the beginning of the end. Right. Right. Show's over. But what what was happening before that, which was the this publicity, this he knew things were coming out mm-hmm. that were going to be coming out in the media, and he was no stranger to the media mm-hmm. because he was very well known. Um, he wasn't one of these cult leaders where you find out, you know, who become famous after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. He was pretty famous yeah. while he was doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well-known in these, like, political circles in San Francisco as well, which we haven't even touched on. But, like, uh, he was well-known. And it just feels like... I, he, saw, he saw the storm coming, the storm of bad publicity. He knew he had a he was at a critical moment. Then that's when he started to started to become unhinged, right? And it was reported that he did a lot of drugs. It was reported that he was acting really erratic, mm. afraid. The paranoia grew, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So he kind of saw the storm coming. Paradise Lost, I would recommend if you want to see. They, they had a really good depiction of how it all kind of unfolded. And they, they did it all in these um, reenactments that are really, really good reenactments. I would recommend that. And you can kind of get into, I guess, a little bit on the blame board, like how it unfolded. Mm -hmm. And I guess you can kind of blame the guy who passed a note or you can blame the mole who went on the plane. Right. I have a hard time. (laughs) Like you can start, like you get into the minutiae a little (laughs) bit, but it doesn't feel right. It's bigger than that. Uh, Who knows what someone would do if they were in those circumstances, you know, and, and how could they have known that there was a mole? Yeah. It just seems like such crazy, wild, like chaotic moment. And and, and that, I don't know that any one person could be to to blame besides Jim Jones. I mean, I don't want to jump to the How does it work legally? Like, I'm curious, like, you know, for like, um, Charles Manson, I believe was convicted for the murders at the Tate house where he, he wasn't even there. Right. And, right. and I do believe he was, I could be, we may need to check the historical record on this, but I think, I do believe he was charged in some way with those murders being responsible for them, even though he wasn't even on the premises. Um, right. Yeah. You know, he had, had killed other people, but not in that particular case. Um, and so I wonder, you know, legally how people go about assigning blame to these kind of situations where it is not done by their hand, but rather done by mm. their coaxing and the way that you assign blame for the people who did the physical act versus, you know, caused the put, you know, put the act in motion. It's right. a fascinating kind of conversation about culpability and mm-hmm. who, where that falls. Um, we can probably uh, punt that to a uh, an expert if we have this. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious though. Who's like the I'd be legal curious. Expert on that you bring up, you know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find someone. The, yeah, I feel like let's if we don't have anything else we want to put up on the board, we'll yeah, we we'll come up with the... our own conclusions that will okay. not probably be right, but <laughs> we'll try our best. Okay. But is there anything else we want to throw up on the board? By the way, think... is there a physical yeah. board? Yeah, you'll see it in a second. I'll, yes, that I'll share it with you. Really satisfying because that's the only <laughs> thing I wanted to do is see the board. 
<laughs> so let's um let's just take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the board. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. Okay, who's to blame for the Jonestown cult massacre? Is it Jim Jones? The Theater of the Church? The good guy mask, the tumultuous 1960s and 70s, a.k.a. the end of the hat, (laughs) the sunk cost fallacy, doomsday paranoia, human nature, or publicity without intervention. You know, I just want to throw in there, too, is uh, control of information. Okay, yeah. Control of information. I mean, I think the fact that he was able to isolate everybody and mm-hmm. and it makes you think of Putin and all of the Russian citizens who have a completely different understanding of what's happening in, in Ukraine than the rest of right. the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and isolation, all, all like cult, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tools, mm. like cult leader tools. It's yeah. like the, you know, families that he isolated them from families. He took away their passports one, right, once right. they got there. Control. That's all control. Yeah. So really good board. Uh, small. It's a short board. It's yeah. so small board, but they're all like pretty. They're pretty dense. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. <laughs> hard you to know, knock. It's, like... <laughs> it's not hard to like think of where to start uh, knocking things yeah. off. I guess what we could do is is fold things into each other. Uh, yeah. Like I'll, the, I'll tell you what. It, I, yeah. I, I would go ahead and knock off the tumultuous nineteen sixties and seventies because. 
let's be honest, there were some amazing things that came out in the 1960s and 70s. It wasn't all yes. horrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's true. There was a lot of amazing music, a lot of amazing the art, a lot of oven. amazing films. It the was microwave. a tumultuous time, but I think it was a time that as a society, we grew and understood each other right. in a deeper way. So I'm not going to say that that's yeah. the blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tie-dye shirts. <laughs> One of them, yeah. Right. Thank God. <laughs> great thing. Um, Bell good guy. bottoms. I-, I was thinking the good guy mask could <laughs> go into Jim Jones. Yeah, sure. I think so. And you can also throw theater of the church in there too. I mean, this, this, he was the guy who kind of. Well, he definitely used the theater of the church yes. to his advantage. So I don't know. But a lot of people. Oh, I see what use, you're saying. Like, which is bigger. Use that. Yeah. Which is the more sort of. The sunk mm. cost fallacy. I, it, yeah. it, it feels a little bit more victim blamey. Too, yeah. That, that right? does feel a bit, a bit yeah. victim blamey. So maybe we take <clears throat> that off for this one. Doomsday paranoia that definitely contributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, human nature. Are we going to send human <laughs> nature is, to the alarmist jail? <laughs> Listen, I feel like more and more recently, humans have been proving that we're pretty a terrible species. That's <laughs> so, right. I think I think there is some space for human nature in the alarmist jail. Human nature is sort of the umbrella under which everything yeah. else falls. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Once you go there, it's hard to go back. But I will say, of all of our episodes we've done on the alarmist, we've never blamed a different species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we've yet. never been like yet. Not yet. We've never been like. I wouldn't put it past the humble anteater is to blame in this case. <laughs> hey, you could blame termites for like a that's you know, right. collapse of a house. That's true. That killed a bunch of people. Well, so. we should do the movie Arachnophobia, and yeah. then we can maybe blame the spiders. Great. <laughs> Finally, get those in the jail. Um, or Lake Placid, and blame the alligators. Nobody wants spiders in the jail. That doesn't sound. Fun. We didn't no, blame the true. dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. No, did we? we no. Oh no, we didn't. No, we yeah. blamed. really. You didn't blame the dinosaurs. <laughs> no, because John, what's his name? He brought him back into existence. Yeah, no, but without the right. dinosaurs, there is no death. Well, you should have been there, Lance. You should have yeah, been there. Sorry. Next time. <laughs> um, human nature. Okay, publicity without intervention. <sighs> That's a tough one because it, it really amped up it, it made it worse for the the members, really, because it amped up Jim Jones's paranoia. Mm. I, I guess my question with that is like, uh, is are we saying that if there wasn't that like incoming publicity that was going to expose him, that maybe this would have been averted or because or, it seems to me like even without that was a, like the catalyst that kind of made the thing happen, but he's been practicing this, practicing the suicide stuff all along. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like it could have been punted, I guess it maybe wouldn't have happened mm. then. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know that. That one is tough for me to wrap my mind around. It, it feels like a lot of uh, speculation. I gotta be honest here. I'm going to just say something bold. I, I I think maybe for the first time in alarmist history, we should both blame and slap Jim Jones. <laughs> so because wow. if you think about it, you go through all these other options, theater of the church, doomsday paranoia, human nature, publicity without intervention, control of the information. You can either draw that back to Jim Jones as being sort of the one who who manifested all that that those things or or harnessed those things to his advantage. And and, and just at the end of the day, you know, 
oh god he was so central to this whole mm-hmm. to this whole operation it is true what is the test um, that you typically apply do you say if we were to remove this thing would this event have happened obviously there mm-hmm. are many contributing factors but right. without jim jones there is no jones town no right no there you go yeah we, we've we've this never is one of them where it, it... All roads lead to Jones Town. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> which is ironic because there were no roads that one went of the worst to musicals I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we could just short circuit this thing, unless you want to give a long look to I don't know human nature. I I was thinking uh, what I was thinking I was going to do was send Joan, Jim Jones to jail and uh, slap human nature. Mm. That was Lance did make a compelling point about how this is just not going to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think we need to be aware of our own human nature. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So if you guys are on board, I feel like I'm going to call it human nature. You're getting the big slap. Jim Jones, you're going to the alarmist jail. And there you have it. I wanted to add just one little addendum at the end, not addendum, just a mm-hmm. quote. Because mm-hmm. something Lance was saying earlier when he was talking about cults yeah. and how people just need sense of community made me think of a Kurt Vonnegut quote, which I'll just read right here. What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. Mm. Pretty good one from Kurt, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the operative words there, I think, are stable community, because this was absolutely not a stable community, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that is the, the trick to it all is to find meaning, find that cure for loneliness, but do it in such a way where you're not causing harm. Right? Well, and if you think about the bigger picture, the the even bigger unstable community is our country as a as a whole, right? The state of our country, whereas like, what if these people you know, what if these people did have um, stable housing? What if there was mm. social justice in our society? Mm. Um, maybe they wouldn't be searching yeah. for, you know, maybe they couldn't have been taken advantage. Place. Sure and of. it's on us to create stable communities. And this st- most stable community of all, I believe, is the Alarmy, the listeners of this <laughs> podcast. You are. Amen, brother. <laughs> Oh, no. Online podcast (laughs) community of the Alarmy. (laughs) Um, Lance, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the Jonestown cult massacre. Yeah, I mean, it was a quite a journey, but I think it sort of starts and ends with the big man at top. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, but we, we didn't discuss the possibility though of will smith being partly to blame for all this mm. oh. that's for another episode yeah we'll bring you back can i come on that one <laughs> you can <laughs> and it's it'll it's we're gonna wait 20 years but yes. yeah yeah we need to see how <laughs> the aftermath of that we need to let the dust settle a little 20 bit years, on that it's one. Too, too hot right now too scorching yeah. hot we're, too soon. we're not a topical podcast we're Lance. still collecting information oh, I, on that one <laughs> <laughs> conversations with the Academy. 
after the massacre, Larry Layton, one of Jones's top aides, was arrested and convicted of attempted murder. He was the only person to face criminal charges related to the events at Jonestown. The U.S. military was tasked with evacuating the dead and wounded from Jonestown. By April of 1979, nearly 300 bodies of those followers had been claimed by family members, with hundreds still unclaimed or decomposed past the point of identification. Many relatives couldn't afford the military transport fees, nearly $500, for a family to bring home a loved one for private burial. Today, there is a memorial to the victims of Jonestown in Oakland. About 80 members of People's Temple who were living in Guyana survived the massacre, as well as hundreds of members living in San Francisco and Los Angeles. The survivors still struggle with the enduring trauma of the event. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Additional writing by Anastasia Kousakis. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing Balloon Fest 86. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 